Sometime last fall, I threw out an idea about something that we say, well, maybe we'll just call it an Acts 2.42 gathering. And then we tried to kind of keep that in front of your thinking, because if you notice in the bulletins, every so often there would be this question, just put, what's an Acts 2.42 gathering? Didn't want you to forget that. Knowing that there was going to come some point where we, we needed to address that issue and say, is it time to make something like this a real part, an integral part of, of our fellowship? And this past, well, really it started about a week and a half ago, I thought this has got to be the day. This is the day that we now answer that question. Now, why today? Let me just throw out a couple of things. Number one, it's Super Bowl Sunday. People are gathering all over our country almost for like an unofficial, uh, unofficial holiday. And they'll be gathering around televisions to watch, to watch a game. Well, we're talking about gathering. We're going to talk about the value of that. Number two, we need a break from the book of Romans. Last week, I know that what I shared with you, because the conclusion to that first section that we titled, Everybody's Got Stuff, I know it was heavy. I know that you could have walked out of here going, man, he really beat us up today. No. No, we're just describing that everybody is broken. Everybody's got sin in their lives. Everybody in their human nature has problems. And uh, that text clarifies it so well. So before we go back to that, you go, oh man, we've got to go through that again. By the way, it gets a little more upbeat after this. Before we, but before we go back to that, I thought maybe it's a good time just to take a break. But as much as anything, today comes to mind because of a conversation I had with my friend Randy Dahl earlier this week. We had lunch together. And I found out that uh, from, in speaking with him that there's something that companies are running into now. They have decentralized their labor force. And one of the things that they are wrestling with is this whole issue that companies, corporations drive for, something called corporate culture. Helping people know who they are, how they, who the company is, how they identify with the company, how they fit into the company. So I found, that, I found that interesting as we talked about that, and I called somebody else up, whom I respect greatly, and asked, is this really a question, is it just something DigiKey is going through, or is this a big question out there in, in corporate America? And we're like, oh yeah, it's a big question in corporate America. People are struggling to know, how do you maintain this kind of thing with, with, uh, uh, with a corporate identity? Uh, if people are sitting at home and doing the work that they're doing. And so I asked them, do you think it's going to have an impact even on like hiring and skill sets? And the individual said, well, probably soft skills aren't going to be as important for those sitting out in these places because they're not in connecting with people. They're not engaged in that because there isn't this face-to-face -face thing that's happening within the corporate world. Hmm, very interesting. Well, I had reached the conclusion a couple weeks ago that... As you know, if you, not that you would remember, but I've tried to remind you that at the outset of the virus, stood up here in front of that camera, and one of the first things I said was, the world is going to change. And I've also said, also said that the churches that figure out how to manage the changes that have come are going to be the churches that thrive. With no clue as to what are the changes. Who knows? And I found myself over the course of the last couple of weeks asking this question in light of that fact that we've become a bit decentralized. 
Are we going to have a different perception of what fellowship in the body of Christ looks like? How it's experienced? What's needed from it? So that has been in the back of my mind. And then to find out that, wow, corporations are actually wrestling with the question of fellowship. What we would call within our Christian world, fellowship, who we are, how we identify, what we claim is our own. Companies call it corporate culture. And they're trying to sort that out as well. So I thought today's got to be the day. So I want to answer the question, what is an Acts 2.42 gathering? It is really quite simple. Maybe so simple, some of you might be a little frustrated with me that this is all we've been waiting for. First of all, an Acts 2.42 gathering is something which is misnamed. Can I say that right up front? Actually, the foundation to what I'm talking about runs all the way from verse 40 of Acts chapter 2 to verse 47, which I just read, but we're only calling it Acts 2.42 because Acts 2.40 to 47 gathering sounds really cumbersome. So I just brought it down to 2.42 when the first real nub of what we're trying to get at is there. So please understand it. Don't go back to me later and say, well, that shouldn't be named that. It's like, I named it that. All right? Be okay with it. Number two, an Acts 2.42 gathering is inspired and outlined by the newborn church that we just read about in verses 40 to 47. It's inspired and outlined by that. So it's from the Bible. You can't argue with me, right? There it is. And an Acts 2.42 gathering has two parts, real simply. You notice in the early church, they laid a foundation in the things of God. Verse 42, that's why we're jumping right to there, why we named it, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayer. That was their foundation in the things of God. The apostles' doctrine is teaching. The fellowship is their agreeing and uniting around that teaching and what God has done and what they are learning from what most recently has happened with the resurrection of Christ and how God is creating this new movement in the world. And they're agreeing together on that. The breaking of bread, probably in this line, indicates that they were sharing in the Lord's table together. Remember, that's what Jesus left them with was to share this, remember this. Do this as, as often as you eat this bread, drink this cup. Do it in remembrance of me. And then they were involved in praying, praying together. So those are all things that bring them back. They, 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 well, with that opening song, let's forget about ourselves and concentrate on Him. That's what we sang. It's an old song. That's what we sang. But it's like, hey, we're getting, we're getting our minds off of ourselves. We're, we're coming here to focus on the things of God as they're being revealed to us now through the apostles. You understand, they don't have the New Testament yet. Not even close. <laughs> Not, even the, the books of the New Testament won't be starting to get written for a couple of decades yet. So what do they have? They've got to rely upon the apostles' doctrine, some fellowship, because they need each other. They're going to stay focused on the Lord's table, and they're going to pray together you will understand, of course, that the prayers are very necessary. Why? Because um, they are in a hostile environment. Second thing they did, they laid a foundation in the things of God, 
And then they built a connection with the people of God. Verse 44 said, Now all who believed were together and had all things in common. Sold their possessions and goods, divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. Notice that's two different locations. They were corporately at the temple, but then they broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. I, I notice... I noticed just a few things I'd like to just call to our attention in there. Again, very simple. It's all sitting right on the surface there, friends. Everyone was connected. All who believed were together. They had all things in common. Everybody contributed. They sold their possessions and their goods. I'm not asking you to sell your possessions and your goods. Don't think I'm going there. And everyone was considered. They divided them among all as anyone had need. They were not going to overlook anyone. They were making sure that the people with whom they're having fellowship, they were going to be cared for by this thing where they brought everything together and said, this is the Lord's, it's for the use within his body. They gathered in corporate unity. Well, that was the temple. Well, we, we, we kind of do that here. We gather in corporate unity, but we obviously we don't go to a temple, but we're right here. But they did something more. They were breaking bread from house to house. I, I think the way that is phrased that now we're talking about, they probably ate meals together. Shared the Lord's table, yes, but also ate meals together. There's something about sharing a meal that brings fellowship and goodness. It's a, it's a, if nothing else, is it not? For the fact that I can sit down and eat with you and you will willingly sit down and eat with me, does it not say we're at peace with one another? Does it not speak to the fact that we are in, we are in good fellowship with each other? There's something about that eating together that, that has value to us. They shared meals in their homes. And they rejoiced and praised. They, were, they ate their food with gladness, simplicity of heart, praising God. I think that's pretty incredible. Simply in terms of the simplicity which they were engaged in that was impacting the world around them and, and making them effective to impact the world. So here's what I'd like to suggest. We looked at those things. You might look at them a little different. It's all fine. Here's what I would like to suggest. An Acts 2.42 gathering is a home meeting, because we do our corporate meeting here, is a home meeting that, here is a very important word, intentionally. There's an intentionality to what we're talking about. It's not, hey, we got together, we sat around, we played some games, we did this, which would all be fine, except there's some things that intentionally must be part of that meeting. That intentionally seeks to pattern itself after meetings described in the early church. Which means, we intentionally bring the Word into perspective. There's got to be something from Scripture. Something, or maybe, maybe we share the Lord's table together, which of course is scripturally based. But there has to be something from Scripture. What I would like to suggest, I think if people were to take up this, this idea and say, this could work well, we don't have to make it hard. i tell you where I would like people to start with. Say, hey, here's an idea. Get people into your home. Intentionally get into the Word. You say, well, how do we go about that? What are we going to do with that? And I'd say, go back to Peter's, go back to Peter's sermon. That's where this thing was birthed. 
Go back to his sermon and, and find out what do we understand about this? What exactly was going on? How would that have influenced these people? How, how exciting was that day? And just look at that sermon. And I'm sure, because it's kind of a, number, a whole long number of verses there, you could do three, four, five times that you could do and never deplete everything that that is there. When you think about it, it takes you back to Old Testament references and it talks to you about David and all of these different things. There's a whole world of things to just you could just easily, without being Bible scholars, go into and go, huh, maybe we should just look at that. That's being in the, in what? That would be in the Apostles' Doctrine because the Apostle Peter is preaching that. That would be simple. So, intentionally, it brings us into the Word. Secondly, intentionally reaches out beyond, and here's what's critical, intentionally reaches out beyond our normal circles. Remember three times it referenced everybody or all. Right? It's about everyone. People aren't getting overlooked. People are not being, um, uh, being dismissed. We are not ta- I'm not talking about something that keeps us in our own little family clusters, our own little friendship groups that we have developed through the years, which are fine, but we actually intentionally say, maybe we need to look around and see, is there someone else who needs some connection, who needs for the body of Christ to be intentional about acknowledging them, noticing them. And I think a third element that we ought to draw from this very, very simply, we have to keep it simple. Got this thing of everybody shared. All right. They, you know, they sold their stuff, they shared, nobody was out in need. Here's an idea. We intentionally make sure we ask everybody to bring something. So one person doesn't have the whole, the whole boat of respo- uh, boatload of responsibility, so we don't have a Martha running around going, oh, i got to do all this stuff. No, Martha, you don't. Let's keep it simple. Yes, we're going to eat together, but everybody's going to bring something to contribute, something simple to contribute, and we're, gonna, we're going to share a meal together in the peace and in the fellowship of Jesus Christ. And uh, it becomes doable at that place. You know, up in this area, I've noticed that when, when people have others into their homes, it, the, the tendency can be to, you've got to really put out a lot. And it isn't, I'm talking about something that we're intentionally saying, no, we're not going there. We are intentionally going to keep it simple. Particularly in this day and age when everybody is so busy. Let's not get caught up in that. I, I'm thinking... I'm thinking of things like soup and cheese and bread, a salad, that simple, brought by different people. It comes together and then we share that. Notice how they ate with gladness, simplicity of heart. So that's what an Acts 242 gathering could be. Any of us could do them. Any of us could reach out. It's not overwhelming in terms of the workload. That's not the real question, friends. All of you can see it and go, yeah, that's doable. All of you can, can look at it and go, well, that might be all right. The real question is that we have to answer is, why? Why should I bother doing an Acts 242 gathering? Why should I even think about others? I'm fine. I'm happy. I'm content. Why should I give it a thought? <clears throat> and 
That's what I want to spend the rest of our time on. Just some things regarding that. First, the newly birthed church, which is what we're reading about here, it was needing to find its way in a hostile world. I've said it's hostile before, but now let's think, how do you know that? Well, by chapters 3 and 4, pressure is already being put upon the apostles to not preach the message that Peter just brought. They tried to silence them. By chapter 7, Stephen is martyred for that message. Chapter 9, God intervenes in the life of a guy by the name of Saul who was on his way to the road to Damascus with letters in order to drag people back to Jerusalem to put them on trial, to put some of them to death. That's what was going on. God birthed the church into a hostile environment. And what I would like us to just think about for a moment, just maybe, maybe, Maybe we need a rebirth in the church in order to meet the hostilities of today's world. Maybe we need to think about some things because more and more we're living in a world that, as the old song used to say, this world is no friend to grace, is not going to like the message of salvation in Jesus Christ. That message which says everybody's got stuff. And that's where we start. And what I would like to think, if there are these gatherings that are taking place, and we're starting to think fresh thoughts in light of the fact that the world has changed and we've become somewhat decentralized, maybe there will be new conversations on how the church or we as a body of believers could be impacting this post-pandemic world. Maybe there's this reality that begins to surface that, hey, we have a lot of people who are working at home now, and guess what? They are not getting the same social interaction that they once had. Maybe we want to think about that. Is that a need that we could identify and say, we might be able to reach out to people in new and fresh ways. And I, I can, what I'd like to envision is, let's say 15 of these happened in the next six months. And there's 15 conversations that could all begin to explore and come up with new thoughts and new ideas. But just maybe we need to have some conversations about how we minister in a post-pandemic world. I don't think it's going to work to simply say, we ought to go back and do everything we did before. The world changed. How are we going to address the changes? That's a thought. And perhaps in that, we could birth some new conversations about reaching the lost. Huh. Maybe there are people who, they would be open to a new way of connecting if we came across with a new way of loving sinners. Loving people who got stuff. And we might find that something good could come from that. I'm just thinking that those are conversations that I, I, I would love to see happen when an Acts 2.42 gathering came together. How do we bring this apostles' doctrine to our world as it is today? Just a thought. Why do we need an Acts 2.42 gathering? To not, to not outsource the organic connection of the unity of the Spirit 
to the unsatisfactory connection of digital fellowship. The Spirit of God is trying to mold us and shape us into this thing called the body of Christ. Where you can read in Ephesians 4, every one of us has a place. Every one of us has a purpose. Every one of us is ministering within our own little sphere. And as all these little spheres connect, the body of Christ becomes strong and mature and whole. But if we have reached the conclusion that we can do all of church life online now, I guarantee you, friends, body of Christ is not going to be strengthened together in that. It's just not. Remember, I've said it many times, it was Judy's good idea. Judy Judy said at one point, we need to have a meal together again. And I've, I described it for you. I watched the entire church except for two single guys who later told me, I had to come, I just had someplace else to be. I watched the entire, entire church get up, go get in line for a meal. And when we encourage people to spread out, they all sat next to each other. Why? Because we hadn't been together. And we needed to be together. I'd never seen that happen before. You know, just a week ago, coaxing people, hey, stay, or two weeks ago, stay, stay for the annual meeting. We'd love to have you here for the annual meeting. No, they don't. That's not, an, that's not an accusation. That's not a put down. It's just people got stuff that they're doing. Oh, that wasn't on their schedule. They got someplace else to go. That's all, that's all fine. I get it. But I, I think most of the time we throw that, we throw, we have together this, that people can come back for a church meal together. And I'd say it's generally 60%. I'm telling you, friends, it was 100% other than two guys who explained why. The board, we're trying, we were trying during the midst of everything that was going on, the board was trying, we're trying to be good citizens, trying to figure out how do we do this, how, how do we do this gathering thing with, um, we're not supposed to be together, supposed to wear masks, and some people are like, ah, that doesn't work for me, and we, you know, we understand we're supposed to be under the, under the authority of, of the governors, and yet, we're like, something doesn't feel right here. And people had very different convictions about this. How do we do that? Well, in the context of that, we had a board meeting. We said, okay, we're, you know, we're trying to do it the right way. We had a board meeting on Zoom. You know how many board meetings we had on Zoom? <laughs> One. And we went, all right, that doesn't work. Why? Why? Because we have a board that takes very seriously building relationships with each other, being in relationship with one another and um, having fellowship that is sweet in the digital world does not give you that. We needed to be in presence with each other. So we, we scrapped that and then we said, well, if you want to stay home, you can. We'll set it up so it'll be a Zoom thing. If you want to come in and a couple people schedule-wise, that would do it. But that didn't last very long. People came to the board meetings. I'm telling you, friends, we have experienced this firsthand. It's important as far as who we are as people. You see, because the, the, the digital world, it gives you a digital picture of what's going on. And um, where it hit me of the shortcoming of something like this long before we knew about pandemics and, and live streaming was years ago when Katrina went through, uh, went through the Gulf. And we all saw pictures, we saw pictures, we saw pictures, we saw hundreds of pictures of the devastation that Katrina brought. And then I went down with a team of people, Cody was on that team, I went down with a team of people, saw it firsthand and said the pictures don't begin to show 
what you see by being right here and feeling it and smelling it and talking to the people. And it's like the pictures could never do it justice. And I'm afraid that, that we might want to ask ourselves, are we doing that with our Christian fellowship? Remember, my question was, uh, concluding a few weeks ago, maybe we're going to redefine how we do fellowship. And I'd like to say, let's think about that before we get too confident that, that uh, digital fellowship will do it for us. Why do we need an Acts 2.42 gathering? To not entrust... First I said, do not outsource. Now I'm saying, do not entrust the organic connection of the unity of the Spirit to big tech. Actually, friends, this is what stirred me a couple of weeks ago most. And I said, i got to find a day to talk about this. This Acts 2.42 gathering thing. When it happened, something I watched in the news We've all been aware that up in Canada there's this thing called the Freedom Convoy. We all know that. And we've been listening to it. And they went into Ottawa. I don't care what your perspectives are on it. That is, this is not about the Freedom Convoy and your, your perspective or my perspective on the Freedom Convoy. This is about one simple thing that woke me up and I went, hold on. And that was when the Freedom Convoy that had started a GoFundMe page raised $9 million, and the GoFundMe people said, we're not going to give you that. Whoa. Now, I don't know what happened with it. Some of you have followed it. You could tell me exactly what went on. But they were at the mercy of the people running the technology. Think about this, friends. Here's the GoFundMe pot of money and all these people that have supported it. Here are the truckers and the Freedom Convoy. And what stands in between them? Big tech that has to give them permission to connect from here to here. And they said, nope, not going to give you that permission. Thank you. And it occurred to me, if we become completely dependent upon big tech and the digital world in order to, for us to engage in our fellowship... If we say, oh yeah, we're, we're LinkedIn good, what happens when big tech says, I don't like the fact that your pastor made very clear in Romans chapter, at the end of Romans chapter 1, made very clear that there's only one gen two genders. We don't like that. We also don't like the fact that your pastor made it very clear a couple of years ago when, when the cities were burning, and he said very clearly, people... Pay attention. Black Lives Matter as an organization, not good. Don't be dragged into that. Black Lives Matter as a truth, absolutely, it's biblical. And we are going to embrace black people as every bit as our brothers and sisters. If they've come to faith in Jesus Christ as anyone else, that's biblical. We are all descended from one, one blood of Adam. But this organization, and I've been proven right on that, if you're paying attention to the news, again, in this day and age. But, big tech may very well come say, you know, you add that, that was hate speech. Pure hate speech. And then you did this thing about, about there's only two genders. More hate speech. We're cutting you down. We're shutting you down. 
and they cut off our digital connection. Who's to say they won't do it, friends? So that's my point. The early church, they met face to face. Nobody can get in between that. See, I'm glad, I'm very glad when the digital world can fill in when it's a necessity. Like today, people going, I, I'm not ready to go out in this cold. I don't know what the road conditions are like. I got drifts that have blown in. But I will be concerned if we reach a place where the digital connection is our lifeline to our Christian fellowship. And we don't realize that we're letting somebody else control whether or not we can even see each other or not. We need to make sure we control our connection by being in the same place with one another. They can't, big tech can't cut us off if we're, if we're having a meal with each other and sharing the things of God across the table from one another. Big tech has no hand in that. Why do we need an Acts 242 gatherings? To build the trust we need to be the body of Christ growing up into maturity. I told you that's God's intention for that. But you know what? That trust, that growth, that maturity, that connectedness, that organic thing where we are, where we are supporting one another, it only happens if we know one another. It only happens if we've had time with one another to build those bonds that Scripture talks about. Maybe I've told you this story. Mason Peters, my good friend, who had served the, the Pemina Evangelical Free Church, and I, we've laughed about this many times. We've got a district conference coming up. I hope you'll go if you can. District conference is well worth the time. Love being there. Prior to the district conference, there's the pastor's gathering, and I try and go if I can. Not sure I can make it this year, but sure hope to get to be at the district conference itself. Now, there was this thing that I noticed happening at the, at the pastor's gatherings. We're all pastors, right? But at the time, I really don't know these other pastors at the district conference. But we're godly men. We, of course, are men committed to prayer, so uplifting one another. And so the guy leading the meeting at a certain part of the day, late in the afternoon, he'd have us gather into groups around the table and now share prayer requests and open up our lives to one another. And I did it one time and went, oh, wow, this is uncomfortable. I don't know these guys. And I watched how we all fell into these real pastoral roles with each other. And like, I'll, I'll pastor you right now. And I'm like, dude, I don't even know you. You may be my brother in the Lord, but I don't have that confidence to really share anything with you. So the next year, when I saw we were going to that, yeah, I went to a movie. I did. And when I go to meetings, you send me to meetings. I go to the meetings. I went to a movie because it's like I, too uncomfortable to sit and try and bear my soul to these pastors who don't know me. And then we leave and we have no more connection with one another. And I'm like, that doesn't work for me. The funny thing is, Mason was doing the same thing. That's how our friendship began. I never, when I first met Mason, I never expected we would be friends. He's much younger. Uh, you could just see, it's like, oh, this is the cool young pastoral couple and I'm this old guy. It's like, yeah, never gonna happen. And laughed about that many times. He couldn't do it either. So here's two pastors. If with other pastors who found building those bonds and trusting those bonds to be difficult, 
how are we going to do it with each other if we don't ever take time face to face in peacefulness, enter into the things of God together, praying, studying apostles' doctrine, sharing a meal that we have all brought. I came across an article this last week, um, and I'm going to just condense it down real quick to why do men in combat why are they willing to die for one another? Why do you see these heroic efforts that they give? And as I understood the article to say, it was because they have been sharing life together. They've been sharing the dangerous situations together. They've been going out on their, on their uh, rides around whatever area they need to be in their vehicles together. And they have learned who each other is and they know I've got his back because I know him. We've been through the stuff together and I will die for him. And the article said, you take people who have not had that kind of time together, they're not going to come away. You're not going to hear as many heroic things. People aren't going to just go out there and die for the stranger. I thought that was very interesting. Why do we need Acts 2.42 gatherings? And we'll finish with this. To care for every person. We've noted all all, all, everyone. They were paying attention to the people's around, to people around them. Can I, can I suggest that, and this is why I say we have to intentionally get out, we have to get past that little group of people that we come to church, oh, I'm so glad you're here because I feel comfortable because you're here. We gotta, we've got to do something different. And here's what I would like to suggest that we might, when, when I say to care for every person, first of all, to care for singles. Before my son was engaged, a few years back, as he's looking for a church that he wants to be a part of, and he tried out a few, and, but one of the things that he noticed, he said, Dad, all church ministry revolves around couples and family. There is no place for somebody who's single. And people are single in a variety of ways. Some people haven't married. Some people have lost their mates. Some people, the, they, they've been married, it didn't work. And there's the grief and the sadness of that. I was surprised, and I think I might have mentioned this to you, I was surprised one time when somebody who shows up here occasionally, I heard she and a couple of other women talking about that. When she lost her husband, she found it harder to come to church because she didn't know where she fit in now. You see, friends, if I said at the outset, intentionality is important in what I'm saying. It's an operant word here. We ought to be asking the question, have we somehow overlooked singles in our midst? However they got there, whatever age they are, are we overlooking the singles? And I would hope that if we gather, we go into Acts 2.42 gatherings, I would hope we will ask that question, who might we invite here who isn't simply part of a couple or a family that we know, but they might need the fellowship of God's people? That's number one. Number two, marginalized people. 
people that maybe they don't fit in, maybe they're just a little bit different than us, are we, are we willing to take time to love them, to care for them, to include them as part of the all, or is it kind of like, oh, uh, they just don't fit in. Well, go there and, and, and then bring that thought back to the scripture that says all. Everybody's needs were met. Everybody was given a place. We got to figure that out, friends. And lastly, you hear me talk about this all the time. You hear me say it week after week. Will you please greet somebody before we leave here? I know some of the hurts that are represented here. But I know I don't know all the hurts that are represented here. And there are people who are right here there are people walking around us all the time who need somebody to notice them, to care for them, to share the love of God with them. Two cases this week that I have just brought that to mind to me very really, very, very real in terms of people that I know. And guess what? In both of those cases, I would have had no clue what they were dealing with. There's nothing that they did that cued me into what they're dealing with. When we see the loss of Tom and Pat's grandson, how very, very sad, but obviously there were some things going on there that would have been great if somebody could have provided a safe place where he'd have been willing to share and open up. and mm. Oh my. But there are hurting people everywhere. The statistics are real. And friends, they're right here, right here today. So the text concludes that, that, concludes that they were praising God, having favor with all people. I found that very interesting. People noticed around them. People noticed there's something different about this community of people who uplift the name of Jesus. There's something different about these people who tell us that God raised that guy from death who we watched be crucified. There's something different about this community of people and how they care for each other. And how they care for people around them. And they saw something good in that. They had favor with all people. And out of that, the text ends with, the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. In the midst of this hostile environment, we have a description of people who, man, they stay focused on the, uh, uh, on the foundational things. And they get... They get connected. They build some connections with the re relational things. And simple things. Simple. And the text says God's building the church daily out of this. Friends, I just gave you five reasons why we need an Acts 2.42 gathering. I pray that God will raise some of us up and say, hmm, 
Maybe it's time to think a new thought. Maybe it's time to consider something different. Maybe it's time to look around me, break out of this little place where I found my security within this little church. Just say, hey, I want to open up to some new things, some new ways. I truly believe that if we caught the vision for this, and, and this is not something like lays a heavy, a heavy thing on anybody. When I, when I first started attending a Bible teaching church, I was surprised to know the people that I'm relating to in that church, not only are they in church on Sunday morning, they're in church on Sunday night. They're in church on Wednesday night. This group, particular group, was in church on Friday night. That was unheard of to me. I went there first on a Sunday morning because that's when my background told me you got to go to church. I was like, there's no way I'm coming Saturday, Wednesday, and Friday. Those are my nights to play. Before it's all done, I'm in all of those things. And I'm leading the, the Friday night thing and finding out that there's sweetness to be together. And now we're so overwhelmed with so many things. The idea of a Sunday night, Wednesday night, Weekly? You've got to be kidding. I'm not, saying, I'm not suggesting any of that, friends. What I'm suggesting is if we were to be intentional, maybe once a month, we could find an evening when we just invited a handful of people not forgetting the singles, not forgetting the marginalized. If we sense somebody's hurting, we make sure we bring them in and we have a simple gathering little time in the Word, a little time with some food, a little time to care for one another. We might find we have unbelieving neighbors around us and unbelieving people in our circle of influence that they might actually be open to that now because they too have been so laid waste by what the last two years have been like. The church that figures out what to do in this post-pandemic world. It will be the church that survives. I just wanted to go back and say, is there something from the early church in a hostile environment that they did that we might gain a little insight from? At least try duplicating for a year. Let's try an experiment. Let's do this. Any of you can do it. I truly believe God could transform who we are as a church and the world around us if we will grasp the vision. Let's pray. Father, thank You. Thank You, Lord, that uh, somehow as You birthed the church into that hostile environment, You weren't afraid of the hostilities. You didn't feel like You had to protect them. You, you by the power of Your Spirit, moved among them. That even in the midst of all the persecutions, in the midst of the dire situations they found themselves, your word says that you were adding to the church daily as people did these very simple things. Lord, I pray that you would give us a vision, a new vision, a rebirth, if you will, Father, for us as a church that says we've got to get intentional about a couple of simple things and trust God to use them in a, in a significant way. So Lord, I pray that you will raise up right here this morning from people who have heard this as we sat here and they've been so patient with me, Lord. I pray that you will impress upon hearts that we're going to get serious about this and that we're going to do something with it and not let the rush of every day continue to push us around. 
but that we're going to be we're going to be focusing and saying lord i'd like to see what could happen if we if i just opened up myself and my home to some simple strategies to allow you to do a work among your people change us father give us great victory as we try something new i ask in jesus precious name amen amen